from the University of Texas at Austin, KUT Radio. This is In Black America. In my research, I found what would be arguably one of the first black teachers in America. And she actually came from a privileged background from the North. Her name was Charlotte Fortune, and there's actually a book on her life. And we call her one of the first official because she was recognized by the Union Army. So even though we may have had teachers before her, uh, one was not official until the United States officially recognized you. So that's why she would be considered one of the first official black teachers in America. Dr. Valerie Hill Jackson, clinical professor of the Department of Teaching, Learning, and Culture at Texas A&M University, and author of a new study which examines the decreasing numbers of African-American teachers in the nation's public school system. Did you know during the first 11 years of desegregation, after Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka in May 1954, more than 45,000 African-American teachers lost their jobs. Also during the past seven decades, the number of African-American teachers in public schools have dramatically decreased. Most of the teaching force were African-American children in the late 19th and early 20th centuries were African-American women. Today, just 7% of the nation's public school teachers are African-American, and just 5% are African-American women. I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr., and welcome to another edition of In Black America. On this week's program, the decreasing numbers of African-American teachers in the nation's public school system with Dr. Valerie Hill Jackson, clinical professor in the Department of Teaching, Learning, and Culture at Texas A&M University in Black America. I was asked by a group of scholars who put together this book on uh, black females in the teaching force, and I was asked to write this chapter. And I immediately said yes, I was interested. I, I did not know the undertaking it would be, and to my surprise, it became this snowball, uh, and the research became almost overwhelming. I'm really glad that I took it on. And one of the things that I found interesting is the fact that these were all ideas that are sort of integral to understanding the history of teacher education in our country, and yet these are topics that are not covered in teacher preparation programs around the country. So that part of it was a bit sad for me. As a young African-American growing up in Detroit, Michigan during the 1950s and 60s, I had a number of African-American teachers in elementary, junior, and senior high school, both male and female. They taught me math, algebra, English, science, biology, business, law, and civics. Today, African-American teachers make up just 7% of the 3.5 million teachers in the nation's public school system. African-American men are just 2% of all teachers. In a recent study conducted by Dr. Valerie Hill Jackson, clinical professor in the Department of Teaching, Learning, and Culture at Texas A&M University, suggests to increase the number of African-American teachers, a special emphasis needs to be placed on recruiting of a particular population. Research has shown that when you recruit, it is important to have recruiters that resemble the community you're trying to bring in. Also, at the national level, Hill-Jackson recommends being proactive with reform efforts, rethinking reform agendas by ensuring that a lack of money does not keep qualified teachers away. Recently, In Black America spoke with Hill-Jackson regarding her study. Well, uh, Mr. Hanson, I am the 12th of 13 kids. 
I hail from New Jersey. My parents uh, grew up in the South. They were migrant workers. They are the children of migrant workers. And so their parents and, and my parents were both illiterate. And you attended Rutgers? Yes, I went to Rutgers University for my undergraduate studies. Uh, I then went on to Rowan University to obtain my master's degree and graduated from St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia uh, for my educational doctorate. So what were some of your favorite subjects while you were in high school and in college? Always science. I I had a proclivity for the sciences, and I majored in biology. And uh, then I went on to major in science in college as well and become uh, a science teacher in Camden, New Jersey. Camden, New Jersey is quite notorious. Mm -hmm. It is one of the poorest uh, cities uh, in America. And I had the great honor of teaching there for a few years before I came to Texas A&M University. What sparked that initial interest in education and teaching education? You know, my path was pre-med and the sciences, and I did not plan a career as an educator. I would always have interactions with my professors who said, you know, you have a knack with sharing information, taking the complicated and making it somewhat uncomplicated. And I thought, no, that's not for me. And But I had an opportunity right out of college. I immediately got married to my handsome hubby and had an opportunity to go into science ed and loved it, fell in love. I started teaching middle schooler science in Camden, New Jersey, and I soon realized that the classroom was was my place. What were some of the interesting things you learned that you now implement as a college professor when you were teaching uh, in the secondary level? Well, you know, I think one of the most important things, and it's, and it's almost biblical, is that we have to meet learners where they are. So it doesn't matter if you're teaching kids in the rural environment or urban environment or here on the campus of Texas A&M. You have to know your learners. You have to understand how they think. You have to know what it is that they value and what they hold dear. And then you tailor your content, your message, to meet them where they are. Do you find that it's necessary to have a little special qualification when you're teaching in an urban area? Well, what I think is the biggest qualification, you know, we want our teachers to all be masters of their content. There's nothing like a teacher who comes in and and can quote philosophers or who know the, the best way to sort of share a math concept or a science concept. That's important. We have to know our knowledge base. Uh, but we also have to have a heart for our teachers as well. So there are a lot of folks who come in our schools who don't have that connection with the learners with whom they're teaching. Uh, so for me, that's something extra is a culturally competent teacher, a teacher who's taken the time to know his or her students, who understands how they think, and who understands the hardships that maybe these kids have gone through. Now, we don't want our, our students to sit in victimization, uh, not the least, but we have to understand that a lot of our kids come to the classroom having already been behind in the race. And it's our job to equip them with the skills and and tools they'll need to be um, successful in life. So what I'm looking for in future teachers and principals with whom I interact is that they not only know their stuff when it comes to their content, but they also have this curiosity to learn who their learners are as well. 
What made you select Texas A&M University? Well, Texas A&M selected me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, uh, my husband, the year I graduated with my doctorate, just months later, my husband was transferred for his job from Philadelphia to Texas. And so one of my mentors knew of this great institution and connected me with someone here and came in for an interview. And I've been here ever since. Other than the heat, what other adjustment did you have to make? <laughs> I think the heat is enough, don't you? <laughs> I'm yes, still ma'am. I'm still trying to adjust. One of the things that I think I other than the heat was understanding that I'm coming into a new geography and with mm-hmm. that you have a different sort of political stance, so to speak. Um, it's a very conservative state. And a lot of my students come from those kinds of backgrounds. And so this was a a learning experience for me so that I learned how to accept and appreciate the diversity of perspective. And that's also something I try to instill in my future teachers as well, that, you know, we all don't have the same perspective or same vision uh, in life and that we have to be as open-minded and hear each other. And that's how progress happens. Other than your teaching credentials, understand that you're a filmmaker? (laughs) Well, you know, I believe that all educators need to be a bit creative. We need to have an outlet. I'm always encouraging my future teachers that when you are going to be in a classroom and you're going to share content, it's important that you share multiple perspectives on an issue. And that requires that teachers learn the skills of, you know, research and hunting down leads and bringing in additional information that you wouldn't necessarily find in the history books. Our job uh, as potentially great educators is to take a a topic and, and, and think about it from multiple perspectives. And so I have to lead by example. I've always been interested in the war bride phenomenon. We had at the beginning, uh, right after World War II, we had this influx of war brides, about one million of them, uh, a huge population of immigrants that came into our country that a lot of folks don't know about. But we also know that our black soldiers went abroad during that time as well. And they also brought back brides. Now, they weren't allowed because of certain laws in America to marry white women. And the few that did had to send their brides back to Europe. But there is this cadre of African-American soldiers who went to Europe, to the UK, specifically mm-hmm. to Wales, and they met these beautiful women of mixed ethnicity. And uh, I've identified this community and identified these lovely women, and I created a documentary on the topic. And so, you know, this is a message that I can share with my future teachers. Not only do I understand the war bride uh, phenomenon, but I can talk about it from different perspectives, how this historical moment in our great country uh, also affected black soldiers and and their wives as well. So I'm proud of this documentary I created called Tiger Brides, Memories of Love and War of the GI Brides of Tiger Bay. So it was a labor of love. And I also wanted to add that my husband's mother is one of these war brides, which makes it even more uh, near and dear to my heart because I get to share this message with my children as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that personal connection uh, to the documentary. Yes, yes. 
I was fortunate to screen it at the National World War II Museum uh, in 2016, and I'm looking forward to sharing future screenings as well. One just needs to send me an email, and I do screenings <laughs> of the documentary for free. If you're just joining us, I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr., and you're listening to In Black America from KUT Radio, and we're speaking with Dr. Valerie Hill-Jackson at Texas A&M University and author of a study on the decreasing numbers of African-American teachers and what to do about it. Professor, what led you to examine this particular topic? It was a happy, unexpected circumstance, Mr. John. I was asked by a group of scholars who put together this book on black females in the teaching force, and I was asked to write this chapter. And I immediately said yes, I was interested. I I did not know the undertaking it would be, and to my surprise, it became this snowball, uh, and the research became almost overwhelming. I'm really glad that I took it on. And one of the things that I found interesting is the fact that these were all ideas that are sort of integral to understanding the history of teacher education in our country, and yet... These are topics that are not covered in teacher preparation programs around the country. So that part of it was a bit uh, sad for me. So we have this incredible moment in history of how black teachers sort of the process began and, and how we rose in numbers and then all of a sudden declined in numbers and how that exodus of black teachers affect how our students are doing today. And yet, This is a story that most teachers in America don't know about. As a child growing up in Detroit in the 50s and and 60s, the teaching profession was one of the better professions as far as African-American employment on a professional level. You know, we had our doctors and we had our dentists. But by and large, all the professional people, to my knowledge at that time, were teachers. What happened during that tenure from then to now? There is uh, this sort of saying in the black community early in the 20th century that there were two options for black folks, that you could either be a preacher or a teacher. And uh, Mm -hmm. when I look at my own family, even though my father was illiterate, my grandfather was illiterate, they both were preachers. When you look at the professionals who were in our country, uh, African-Americans specifically, at the early part of the 20th century, that was the option, as you said, going into teaching. We can trace the history of African Americans in the teaching profession back to the 19th century. And we know that the end of the Civil War kicked off the apartheid system in education that, that we had during that time. And it also, we slowly started seeing the numbers. So by the, by the 20th century, we had most of our teachers uh, who were African American teaching African-American kids. Now, this lasted for about 90 years until Brown versus the Board of Education. And so this landmark piece of legislation did a great deal to advance the African-American position here in the country, but it also set us back in the field of teacher ed. Because you have to imagine, Mr. John, that at this time, when we started to desegregate the schools, the kids of color were encouraged to now integrate into the white schools. But the local communities, the families, the principals, the superintendents now started to say, well, look, I don't want these black teachers in my schools. So the numbers fell off. 
So you can actually, when you think about it, uh, think of it as Brown actually issuing pink slips to African-American teachers. And that was the official sort of flashpoint, if you will, of the decline of African-American teachers in the profession. When did that reversal take place? Well, it hasn't happened. More black African-American teachers becoming or just somewhat stagnated? Right. Well, you know, we have about three and a half million teachers Mm -hmm. in America. That's 2% something. Yes, you know, 2% of the teaching force are African-American males, and then only 5% are African-American females. So that so that's only about 115,000. Now, at our height in this country, we were about 90,000. So while the numbers have increased, and, and not by much, the mm-hmm. proportion of African-American teachers to the, to the number of black students is is has declined. And so that's the issue. Our ratio is off. There's a cultural gap. The portrait of the American teacher right now is a woman who's white, who is monolingual and Christian. And so we've normalized what it means to be a teacher today. So we've lost our numbers. We know that when we look at the 3.5 million, 17% are teachers of color. And so we have to do something to change this sort of portrait of what the American teacher is. And we can't get comfortable with those numbers. And so it's real important that we try different tactics to to bring African-American teachers, other teachers of color, back to the fold. When we look at African-American teachers in the profession, on what level, elementary, junior high, or high school, are we finding these individuals? Well, uh, I I went looking for those numbers, and what I can tell you is that we don't quite have the breakdown in terms of where these teachers are, whether they're Mm -hmm. elementary or secondary. Uh, We do know the good news is that 90% of our kids are being taught by teachers with a certification. That means that they've gone the proper channels. We do know that we have about 10% of our kids in American schools who are being taught by folks who don't have the proper credentials or no degree at all. So that's worrisome. But we also should know out of that 10% that this is where we find the kids who need good teachers the most, whether it's the rural environment or the urban environment. Uh, we know that these are places that are hard to staff. And traditionally, when we do find teachers of color, this is where you'll find them in those hard to staff schools, whether it's a Camden, New Jersey, or whether it's a Houston, Texas, or Austin, Texas, you'll find your teachers of color in those hard to staff environments. So we got to do a little bit better. Is the attitude still the same as it were back uh, when they white schools didn't want African-American teachers teaching their kids? You know, Mr. John, I think we're the best country on the planet, and I would believe and I feel in my heart that we have changed, attitudes have changed. Uh, I think we probably still have a ways to go. The superintendent today and the principals today have to realize that their teaching force is vastly improved when it reflects America. When you have a school district where the teachers there reflect America, then we know that excellence is the order of the day. There are all kinds of studies that tell us that when you have a homogenous sort of committee or group or workforce, that you're going to get mediocrity. But when you can 
push for diversity, one will absolutely be faced with excellence. So I would like to think that America's school leaders understand that they have a real mandate, a demographic mandate on them to ensure that their students see a new portrait of the American teacher and one that represents who we are as Americans. I understand that there's a program that you are head of at A&M iVision that are trying to increase the pipeline of African-American or people of color in the teaching profession? Well, iVision doesn't do that work. iVision is an on-campus organization that somewhat tries to, you know, recruit uh, students on campus to get them more interested in the teaching profession, to okay. share in professional development opportunities on topics that they may not necessarily uh, find in their teacher preparation program. So I'm really proud of the great work that iVision does. But the pipeline issue is not something we're working on at Texas A&M. What I'm really proud of with my college is the fact that they have set up new financial aid opportunities and grant opportunities so that if teachers are, are coming, uh, or prospective teachers coming to our college uh, need that kind of financial assistance, we have opportunities to, to support them. So that's really important as well. The, you know, back to the pipeline issue, Mr. Hansen, mm -hmm. you know, we really have to find ways at so many different levels to increase the numbers in the profession of, of African-Americans specifically. Uh, we can look at maybe doing different things at the school district level. Um, there are many great programs around the country where they're doing what we call grow your own. They're actually going to local communities and they are hiring paraprofessionals and encouraging to encouraging them to go the teacher route. They're also creating what we call sort of high school teacher academies. And these are academies where we, you know, where they've identified young African-American students uh, at the high school level and sort of um, introduce them to this whole career path of teaching to get them excited and then follow them along as they get to the to the high school level as well. So if we're going to address the pipeline issue, we have to start at the district level and make sure that we're going into the communities where we know that these are populations that are are underserved and we need to make sure that we're reaching out with what we call special emphasis recruiting. And that means that mm -hmm. we're being intentional about going out and doing this work and looking for these groups and pulling them in and making sure that they're successful. Uh, we also have to uh, make sure that once we do have them at the teacher preparation level, that we're not just giving them sort of grants and scholarships and financial aid, but we're also giving them the, them the emotional support that they need as well. And then what we can also do at the national level, you know, our teachers are burdened every two years with some new fancy reform agenda. But a lot of these reforms that come out, they're not thinking about, okay, how will this policy impact our numbers? How will it impact certain populations of teachers? So what we need to ensure is that there's a certain tripwire, I call it, or a caveat, so that we're always building into policy these different approaches that are going to maintain and build upon our underrepresented numbers for sure. 
Once these African-American teachers are recruited and go to these districts, are they feeling isolated? Are our school district making them feel a part of that community? Well, we're hearing over and over again from uh, a lot of different reports that a lot of teachers, teachers from these underrepresented groups, when they get to school districts, that they often are the only one or one of a few, and mm-hmm. they are feeling isolated. And so this is a responsibility of school leaders who may not understand how this, how this may work, how uh, someone who may be of Latino or African-American descent may have these feelings of isolation and what the school district could possibly do to, to make them feel a part of a great community and to pull them in. Often it's just this start of having what we call courageous conversations, you know, allowing these teachers the opportunity to share. But beyond the conversation, we need to have what I call special emphasis officers who is doing their job, who, who, who are working to do their job in terms of educating the rest of the school staff and teaching for us, but also to educate teacher leaders as well. So we need to make sure that once we get them in, that we're able to hold on to them. And that means making folks feel like they're part of a community. Are your recommendations being presented to these colleges and universities that are training teachers of the future? Well, you know, I like writing reports. And you (laughs) quoted this chapter that I wrote in this book about black women in a teaching force. But unfortunately, Mm -hmm. these are not the types of mediums that spread the word. I appreciate you allowing me to have this conversation today. This is one of the ways that we, we share our concern. We're at a crisis level, Mr. John. And, you know, one of the reasons why we have to do better is because schools are storehouses for democracy. We have an opportunity to really live out what it means to be a beautifully democratic nation. And that starts in our schools and making sure that our schools reflect who we are as a nation. So, Unfortunately, not a lot of folks are reading chapters or articles <laughs> or books, but we need to have the conversation, and it starts with, with you and I. So I'm, I'm excited to share this message. I hate pushing the panic button, but if we are really about the business of getting uh, our kids ready for the next generation, part of that means that we need to help them sort of interact with all kinds of difference, and we have beautifully talented white brothers and sisters in our classrooms, but we also have some very talented persons of color who need to share in that glory. A couple of more questions, uh, Dr. Hill Jackson. Besides your study, are there any other definitive studies that actually states that students who are educated by a diverse African-American or people of color population as teachers do better? are better well-equipped, are better educated. Well, there is a ton of research that confirms Mm -hmm. what we've all suspected for a long time. There is this theory, what we call the role model theory, which basically says that when a kid of color can be educated by someone of of their similar background, that it goes a long way in supporting their academic achievement. So we've, we've been sort of thinking about this and talking about this for a long time, but now we have actual research. Dr. Valerie Hill-Jackson, clinical professor in the Department of Teaching, Learning, and Culture at Texas A&M University. 
If you have questions, comments, or suggestions as to future In Black America programs, email us at inblackamerica at kut.org. Also, let us know what radio station you heard is over. Remember to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station or of the University of Texas at Austin. You can hear previous programs online at kut.org. Until we have the opportunity again for technical producer David Alvarez, I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr. Thank you for joining us today. Please join us again next week. CD copies of this program are available and may be purchased by writing In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. That's In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. This has been a production of KUT Radio.